Um, close your eyes. So I'll just take a quick deep breath, myself included. This may be the very first time I've ever spoken ever without really having any clue about what I'm going to speak about. I just thought, you know, there's such a strong collective consciousness of Christ in this group. And, you know, being able to tap into that and just speak feels right. So I'll start with the story. There is a, um, I was just reading about this not too long ago. Um, there's a story in the Bible about a man named Saul. And Saul uh, was persecuting Christians. Do you guys know this story? Anybody know this story? Yeah. Saul was persecuting Christians, and he is um, on the road of Damascus, on his way to Jerusalem, and all of a sudden, this huge bright light shines in front of him, and it's the resurrected Jesus. And Jesus says, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Why are you doing this? And he blinds Saul. Saul is blinded by the light. For three days, Saul is blinded, and he goes into the city of Jerusalem, and a man named Ananias finds him. And Ananias, which I love, Ananias is a it's, a, it's a, it's his name, but Ananias actually in Greek Hebrew translation means favored by God. Hananiah is what the Hebrew translation of that is, and I love that. But anyways, um, so Ananias, you know, re restores his sight. And Saul becomes Paul, who goes on to write 13 books of the New Testament. Basically, during the, you know, apostolic era, Paul becomes like the great, basically kind of the creator of the New Testament church, which is the majority of what all of these, you know, um, Christian-based churches are founded in. And I remember when I was a kid hearing that story in church and thinking, God, this guy is horrible. This guy's like the worst guy ever. And now he's like the, his story is the story I relate to the most as, a, as an adult. And that feels right. And so um, he's, he, he goes on and he, he creates, he writes 13 books of the New Testament. One of the most you know, famous verses that you guys all probably know that, that Paul went on to write is while he's imprisoned in, I think, Thessalonica, he's writing to the church in Philippi, and he writes, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Many people in this room, many people all over the world have been really, truly like moved and, and, and found you know, some kind of peace in Paul's words. So backing up from that, I was raised in a super Christian environment, like a really, really wildly strict Southern Baptist in Oklahoma Christian environment. Like eight days a week, we went to church. Like my, any reason there was to go to church, we were forced to go. I remember one time my mom said, we're going to go to church on a Monday night. And I was like, why? And she said, um, because it's visitor night. And I'm like, nobody, there's not going to be visitors at church on a Monday. Nobody goes to church on Monday. But and then there's literally nobody but members there. I mean, they, they were just looking for reasons to force us all to go to church. That's what it felt like to me. And I grew up in this, in this strict Southern Baptist Christian environment. But the contrast for me and the issues that I had was I also grew up in a wildly abusive home. My father was extraordinarily abusive to my brother and I. My brother and I were both adopted. I was adopted from a little orphanage in Bangkok, Thailand. And uh, my dad was in the military stationed at Tinker Air Force Base. But anyways, they, um, he was just really abusive. I always, I always describe him as an alcoholic that didn't need alcohol for his rants and you know, raging. 
And when I was nine years old, my father tried to sexually abuse me, and I wouldn't let him. And he kept trying again my whole entire life. And when he realized he wasn't going to be able to, he started physically abusing me. And so if you can imagine, I grew up in this world where I'm being physically beaten down and then told to go to church, holding his hand. And there was just this, this contrast in my mind as a child going, I hate him, I hate church, I hate me, right? And putting that aside for a second, I also was the kind of kid that was constantly questioning everything I heard. I never grew out of that. But, um, but I, I remember being in like third or fourth grade in my Sunday school class, and the teacher was teaching us about the story of Jonah and the whale. You know the story. And in our little children's book, Bible book, there's a picture of Jonah sitting in this belly of a whale, and there's a fire, and he's roasting marshmallows. And I remember just being like 10, going, how in the hell did he get firewood in, jo in the belly, you know, of the whale? Yeah, and, and also they had marshmallows in Jerusalem back then? Anyways, and so, um, and my Sunday school teacher was like, don't ask questions, just have faith. And then, you know, I, as I grew up, I got into junior high, and I remember asking my youth pastor, um, you know, if, 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 being materialistic is such a sin. Why does God entice us into heaven with, with gates of pearl and streets of gold and big mansions? And I don't want to live in a mansion by myself anyway. That sounds really lonely. And he was like, don't question. Don't question the Bible. And at this point, I'm like, I'm not really questioning the Bible. At this point, I'm questioning all of you guys. <laughs> because nobody seems to have any answers. And I got, when I got into high school, I remember learning the story um, of... Joshua, in the book of Joshua, Joshua um, is fighting the Amorites. And he um, wants to win the battle before the sun goes down. And the story is that he looks up into the heavens and he says, God, you know, please let us win this battle before sundown. And the next line is, and God commanded the sun to stop. God commanded the sun to stand still. So I asked my youth pastor again at like 16, but why are we learning that the Bible is this infallible word of God when this is one single line alone is, is, is wrong? I mean, we know now that the sun was never moving, that we, we were rotating around it, right? And again, his answer was, stop questioning. Just have faith. What is it with all these questions? And he said, your questions are going to make it to where you can never have a true relationship with God. And I said at 16... I'll bet my questions make it where I can never have a true relationship with this church. And I, you know, between not really having answers as a kid, growing up in the environment that I was growing up in, and, you know, having this, this new, just growing disdain, really, for, for anything that sounded like God or Jesus or church or anything that rhymed with church. I hated merch. I don't even know what that is. And um, anyway, and so I ended up um, studying theology in college because I had this, you know, I always grew up with this deep driving desire to know God. I always believed that there was something that was real there, but I believed it was disconnected in how it was being taught to me. But it never stopped me from believing that there was some kind of truth there. And I grew up, I remember I went to a, a private Christian college, actually, and my first day of theology class, my professor 
walks into the class and he says, listen, if any of y'all are wavering in your faith in any way, if any of you guys are not really sure who Jesus is to you or, you know, not sure how you feel, I would really encourage you to get up and leave this class now because by the end of this class, you're all probably going to be atheists. And I was like, this is awesome. This is definitely, this is the class for me. And, but, you know, it was interesting studying theology and understanding, you know, taking Greek and Hebrew and understanding the Septuagint, Dead Sea Scrolls, and really getting a, a deeper understanding of how this was created. But what happened was I did become an atheist. I left my private Christian university and which I think is the greatest story ever for that university, that I left my private Christian college and became an atheist. And I moved on, you know, in hate. I moved on with a greater sense of hate within me as I moved on in my life. And I remember I had ended up moving to um, L.A. in my late teens, like 19 years old. And I just... My goal at that time was equipped with the knowledge that I had, stronger than most people that had been raised in church their whole lives. My goal was to out-talk everybody out of their religion, was to, was to walk up to anybody and just prove to them that they were wrong. And then I had this thought one day, holy cow, I've become Saul in this moment. But this interesting thing happened one night. I was in LA, it was a Saturday night, and you know how you are after college, you think you know everything, like literally everything. I was testing my knowledge by playing a drunken game of Trivial Pursuit with, 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 with some friends, and this woman walks into this apartment that I was in, and she walks right up to me and she says, what do you want in life? And I said, um, I don't know, I guess just to be happy. And she says, do you want happiness or do you want like pure joy? Do you want happiness or do you want like peace, the kind of peace that really passes all understanding and experiences? And I was like, yeah, I want that actually. And she said, I want you to do me a favor and come to church with me tomorrow. And I went, that's not going to happen because that is not where that exists. And she says, no, 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 Christy, just hear me out. I'm, I'm begging you. There's, I have this deep need. I literally came here just to tell you please come to church with me tomorrow. And I woke up the next day on a Sunday and I thought, why not? I feel lost. I feel broken. I feel angry. I feel everything that's wrong with the world and wrong with me. I'm just raging through life. You know, it's either going to just fuel the fire, which felt fine because when you're mad, you don't mind being more mad, or it's going to, you know, put it out. And the church she invites me to is called Agape, the International Center for Truth, Michael Beckwith's church. And I remember, so first of all, I go there and that woman is nowhere to be found. I'm like alone. So then I started like, did I imagine her? Like, was that, did that actually happen? But yeah, she's not there, but I go there. And the only seat in the church that's available is in between a Jewish rabbi and a Buddhist monk both dressed exactly as that. And I remember just thinking, what is this? And I had this overwhelming feeling, this, this energy 
that was just you walk, has anyone ever been to Agape? Wow, that is amazing. So you know the feeling, that, that feeling when you walk into that place, it's, it's a lot like this when you guys are singing. You know what I mean? Well, not like it all of a sudden turns off when you don't sing. But um, that sounded horrible. But you know that feeling when you're singing? I mean, it's that feeling. It's that energy where you just feel, it's almost overwhelmingly pure and overwhelmingly like loving and overwhelmingly confusing for a 19-year-old kid who wants to hate the world. And I sat in between the two of them and this guy gets on stage and he hits this bong, not a bong, like a bong. <laughs> not, it wasn't that kind of church. Yes, he hits a bong. I've told this story before and they're like, they hit a bong? It was very Native American. And, um, no, he hits this bong, and Michael Beckwith gets up, and he says, let's center ourselves in truth, and he does this meditation, and I was like, I didn't know what meditation was. I grew up praying. Meditation is what people in cults do, and what's a, I mean, I, didn't, I never saw any of this, and the first speaker that spoke that day was Arun Gandhi, and Arun Gandhi spoke about the collective consciousness of Christ in all of us, and the importance of tapping in and understanding that when one among us is sick, we are all sick. And I was like, well, then everybody in here hates life and sucks and is broken and, you know, angry because that's how I feel. The next Sunday I end up going and the next speaker is Les Brown. And Les Brown is one of my favorite quotes by Les Brown is, it's not that we aim high and miss, it's that we aim low and hit and we stay there. And, you know, I think he refers to that in the perspective of people's professional lives or whatever, but I, I, I thought that more in my thoughts. Like, instead of aiming high, I've always just stayed low and stayed right there because right there is comfortable for me. Right there is, is a space that, it, that, that feels, you know, convenient or something. And then the next is Marianne Williamson. And talking about how we're not afraid of our, you know, our fear is, our, is, is awakening to our greatest, you know, our greatest, you know, strengths within us and, and the greatness. And I didn't know then, but I know now, what was happening to me. I mean, what are the chances that some random person I've never heard of or known or seen again invited me to Agape? And Michael Beckwith, Arun Gandhi, Les Brown, Marianne Williamson all speak to me. Like boom, 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 boom. I was like, at this point, Jesus is just going to have to show up. I mean, like, who's next? What are you going to do now? And I found this space within me that felt so much more peaceful. It was like this, I don't know, like this this raging bear was finally starting to just settle for a moment. And instead of trying to get the anger out, I was trying to, you know, let the love in. And instead of trying to fight the rage, I, I, I chose just to sit for a moment in the peace, any peace that I could find. About a year later, I went to Nicaragua. I, some of you guys know this story. Chinandega, Nicaragua has the highest concentration of malaria than anywhere in the world. I went on a medical mission trip. 
I don't have anything to do with medical anything. And, um, but I just, this random person asked me to go. Again, a random, my life is filled with random people that I've never seen again that always change. It's so weird. But anyways, so I ended up going to Chinandega, Nicaragua on this mission trip. And, and what had happened is in, in, in the country of Nicaragua, there is this huge um, volcano that was dormant for like 100, 200 years. And over time, water had built up in it from the rain and it created this beautiful lake on this mountain. And one afternoon, there are hundreds of Nicaraguans swimming in this lake, and there's a huge landslide. And the landslide is so deep and so big, it goes like 20 miles through Nicaragua, killing thousands and thousands of people and villages. And what they ended up doing was, all of these displaced families, moms would go to dads and go, I have a kid. Grandparents would go to their you know, younger people and go, I don't have, I can't find my family. They would make these makeshift families, right? And so we were there to help them, the people that had been devastated by this um, landslide. And we're walking up into the village of Chinandega. And I, will, I, I literally in my lifetime will never forget this moment. Hearing a noise you know, we're cresting over this hill, and I hear a noise in the distance. And I say to the guy next to me, what is that sound? And he says, that, my friend, is the sound of pure joy. And I literally, I couldn't even recognize what it was. And as we kind of crest over this hill, what we saw was a bunch of children, most of them half naked, chasing a little chicken around a village and just laughing, like belly laughing. And all of the adults around them, belly laughing with them. And I remember just stopping in that moment going, how is it possible that I've never felt this level of joy? How is it possible that I've never laughed like this before? How on earth is it even possible that these people are happier than me? And the reality is, I know now, I didn't go to help them. I went there because they needed to help me. And they did, and it changed my life forever. And so the, you know, the sequence of events for me was just this, you know, getting this rage out in me and, and allowing, you know, not, I, I, think, I think so many people get fixated on how to fix the anger. And that's not the answer. The answer is how to let in the love, right? And, you know, the sequence of events that led me to really experiencing pure joy from the most impoverished perspective you can imagine. And I came home from that trip and was like, any of you guys ever been on a mission trip and like an international third world country mission trip? It is perspective like you've never seen. I, I actually think every high school kid in America, it should be mandatory for them to go on an international mission trip. Um, because you come home and you realize this is all false. None of this is real. I came home and was like, why do I have closets full of clothes? I wear the same, still to this day I have a closet full of clothes. I wear the same three things. I'm not even kidding. And you know, I had two cars at the time and I had like just excess of just things. And there's people in this world that, that have nothing and it looks like I have everything. But ultimately what I realized in that moment that I was the one that had nothing. And so, what I started doing was really understanding who God was, what that meant to me, breaking down, you know, from becoming this, you know, Christian 
to an atheist, to just lost, to wanting to connect with something and not really understanding what that something was. And so I'm walking down the street in Venice, California, and it's rainy, it's winter, it's rainy. I'm by myself. At this point, I'm 24 years old. And I, I see this little tiny bookstore. And it's got this big wooden door, and I shove open the door. And the bookstore is, I don't know if you've ever been in a bookstore like this, but I love these. There's nothing but lamps on and candles lit, and it's just this quaint, beautiful bookstore. And I grab this book about Buddhism, and I slide down this wall, and I just sit there and I read it. And I realized the interesting thing about Buddhism is nobody becomes a Buddhist. You, through spiritual awakening, realize you are one. That's the difference, is that nobody goes, I'm going to be a Buddhist today. Here's the things I'm going to do. Check. You realize through a spiritual awakening that you are actually a Christian, a true one. You realize through spiritual awakening that you really are a Buddhist. You realize through the collective consciousness that you're able to tap into that there is truth in all of those, everything. And when I realized that is that what I was angry with, you know, I was angry with God because I had this this, this perspective that God was like Superman, and he never came in and saved the day for me, and therefore God's not real. And what I realized in all of these moments was that, that, that God never disappointed me a day in my life, because that's not even possible, that man disappointed me, or I disappointed me, that, that you know, my, my father wasn't, I heard this quote one time that said, most people's perspective of God is close related to, closely related to how they feel about their dads. And I was like, I mean, in my 20s, that's a very true statement. Now, to, they couldn't be farther from the truth. But I think, I think this is the message. That I know what it feels like to be lost on a level where it, that lost just almost feels right. And I know what it feels like to be broken on a level where broken just feels normal. And people disappoint you, and that's just expected. And it's difficult, and people go just, you know, you fall on your knees, and that's not far enough. And you continue to fall down on your face, and you just want to sink in more. That feeling of just... Life is hard, and, and I can't do this. I know what that feels like. And it has felt like that before in my life because of I didn't understand that the hurt was there to help me and that the pain had a purpose and that whatever it is that we're going through, you know, instead of understanding that, that there's not one single person that did something wrong to you, that that, that that reality in front of you was really probably manifested by you to teach you something specific because you have truth within you and growth that must absolutely happen. I really do believe that every single person on this planet has a purpose in this life, that there's something within you that, that you just, you can't kick. You can't get rid of. You can't pretend like it's not there. And that, you know, depression for me, when people say they're depressed, I just go, how far removed are you from purpose? Because that's usually what happens is, is that two roads diverged in the wood and they took the one most comfortable. 
You know what I mean? And so, and they're supposed to be over here and they're living life over here and that looks and feels like depression. But what it is is just feeling lost from who you know at the core of your being you're supposed to be. There's something in every single person without any doubt, every single person in this room, that you have something to, to give in a way that nobody can give it, to do, to sing, to say, to play, to be, to write in a way that nobody else can do that thing. One of my favorite quotes from Jesus is actually in the book of Thomas, where Jesus is quoted saying, the kingdom of heaven is within you and all around you. It is not in the stone or the wood of a mansion. Split the wood and there is God. Lift open the stone and there you will find it. And that to me is how I found my way back to God, understanding that it's not here and it's not there and it's not on a mountain and searching the four corners of the earth and traveling the world over from relationships to jobs to everything I could possibly find to bring me some kind of peace outside of me because I didn't know how to bring it within me, that the reality is sitting in the space in this moment by yourself alone, that's where you find God and that's where you find your purpose and that ultimately connected together is where you find pure joy and peace.